Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Again, this week, our guest is Bob Phillips. He's the executive director of Common Calls North Carolina. As we said in our first segment, that's a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization that advocates for uh, fair government. And uh, Bob has been our guest a number of times through the years. We've talked about the U.S. Supreme Court case on redistricting and how that could affect the next congressional map here in North Carolina. And uh, so I think in this segment, we want to turn to uh, get a, an update on where we stand as far as voting voting rights. Uh, we are now getting uh, uh, some more feel for uh, the way that we are turning out to vote now, mail-in absentee voting and uh, uh, voting uh, uh, out of precinct voting and same-day registration and the voter ID and so forth. So to bring us up to date on all those matters, Bob, and and uh, how you feel like the voting process is hap- is uh, being handled here in North Carolina. I think, Don, we have some really good, strong voting laws overall in North Carolina. And even though the turnout may not have been what exactly we had hoped for, it was by and large problem-free in our state. Uh, there might have been some isolated incidences here or there where a voting machine gets jammed or maybe there were a couple of instances where some folks outside the precincts might have gotten too close to where they shouldn't have been. But overall, um, uh, we had a a good election without any real problems. The other, I think, thing I would point to, though, is that with some of these changes that we've had in the law in the last 20 years, I mean, you and I do go back away and we remember when you voted only on an election day and that was it. And uh, early voting has become now um, more popular than Election Day itself. More people vote during during that 17-day early voting period than they do on Election Day. So we want to continue that. And then we have same-day voter registration, which allows people to register and vote simultaneously between or during the early voting period. And And Democrats and Republicans and Unaffiliated voters use that uh, in equal measure alike. So that has been a good thing. Um, You mentioned vote by mail. That has also become more popular since we've had the pandemic. It's something that we want to continue to at least have that as an easy option. Um, Out of precinct voting, which sounds kind of odd, but what that means is when someone shows up on Election Day to the wrong precinct, that if they can't get to the precinct that they are assigned, they can still vote what's called a provisional ballot. And that's kind of the generic or the general, I should say, uh, elections on the ballot. Um, those things are all important. And I think, Don, what we've seen is 20 years ago, North Carolina used to be traditionally more in the bottom 10 percent of vote of, a, of states uh, regarding voter turnout, whereas now we're more in the top 10. Granted, the first question you asked was about voter turnout. What did we think? It's not as high as we would like, but we still are a state that has um, comparatively a pretty good turnout, and it's much better than it was 20 years ago. And I think one of the big differences is these laws that I just mentioned that have made voting a little bit easier and more accessible. Uh, Bob, you sort of alluded to the fact that you feel like that all these changes have sort of been neutral as far as uh, having a, uh, an advantage to either Democrats or Republicans. Is that true? 
It's definitely true with same-day voter registration. Uh, both parties almost have now begun using that equally. I think when the law went into effect in 2008, the Obama campaign really took hold of it and used it, and the Democrats started using that much more than Republicans. But I think everyone uses it in pretty much equal fashion. Um, vote by mail, interestingly enough, Republicans used to utilize that more than Democratic voters and 2020 Democratic voters. And in this last election, while we didn't have near as many as we had in 2020, uh, I think Democratic voters still tended to use vote by mail a little bit more. And I would say that probably was some of the signals that the former president, Trump, had uh, has been historically uh, fanning the flames about um, somehow an absentee ballot or a vote by mail rather is um, corrupt or is, is somehow not uh, proper. Um, the other one um, in terms of out of precinct voting, it's not like that happens a lot and it's not something that really has a bigger impact um, or advantages one party over the other. Uh, but the last one and the big one as far as early voting, what we had seen historically was that Democrats voted uh, in much greater numbers in the early voting period than Republicans. And while that is still true, it, what we are seeing in the last couple of elections, including this last one, that Republicans are beginning to take advantage more of early voting than they had before. And it's just a matter of fewer people are choosing to vote on election day. Republicans tend to still be Republican voters tend to vote more on Election Day than Democratic and unaffiliated voters, however. Well, all of this is, uh, I guess, uh, helpful for those of us who are in the media for election night, because back uh, in the uh, 70s and 80s, I can remember uh, participating in election return coverage that ended at 4 a.m. <laughs> and uh, that wasn't the exception. That was more the rule. Uh, so now, the, the uh, of course, you've got computers and you've got voting machines and all that sort of thing, but also early voting makes it possible for the results to come in much sooner. Uh, it, I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that that's good or bad, but that's a, that's a fact. It's true. What happens every uh, a month out from election, or it might be five weeks, but North Carolina law allows county boards of elections, and this is where the actual board of elections, the bipartisans, they can take the absentee ballots, not absentee ballots, the votes, and they open the ballot and they run them through the machine. They don't tally, but they run them through the machine. Whereas at 731, all across North Carolina, we can get that early vote almost instantly because those votes have been counted. What we don't have would be the ones that come in um, the uh, the Tuesday, the Saturday before the election, those have not been tallied prior. But the other thing, too, Don, and this is, again, became a controversy, I guess, in the last election. You have Election Day. You have the vote that are tallied from Election Day and early voting. But then you have overseas voters, military voters, uh, vote by mail. Some of those votes, I mean, some of those ballots that uh, come in have the proper postmark, but they may come in after the election. And in North Carolina, they can still count up to three days after the election, as long as it has a postmark uh, that was postmarked on election day. Those all have to be counted. And then that's what they call a canvas where the county 
10 days after the election, they count all of those mail-in ballots, overseas military ballots that come in. They generally never change the outcome of an election, but elections don't become official until that canvas is done 10 days after election day. So from top to bottom, how would you rate uh, election integrity in the state of North Carolina? I don't think it is anywhere. uh, I would say when I, you know, rating it, I think the election integrity is very good. Uh, We have in North Carolina uh, very comprehensive audits that occur after the election in all the counties that are conducted by the boards of elections to where they uh, randomly take the machine and then do a hand-to-eye count with the ballots. Every machine produces a physical ballot, uh, whether it's the scanner, uh, punch screen, or the ballot that we have in Wake County where you put it in. Um, and that's done. And uh, in the last, in the in this election cycle, uh, everything checked out fine. So I think in that respect, we know that our voting machines are accurate. Uh, I think we can say that with a hundred percent certainty. Um, I think that we have some wonderfully dedicated County Board of Elections paid staffers who do all the work that's required to make sure an election comes off without a hitch. And then we have some wonderful people who volunteer. Uh, they get paid a small amount of money, but they do the work during the uh, early voting period on election day, handling the volume of people coming in. Um, so I really do think, fortunately, North Carolina has a great election system that has a lot of integrity. We have had those problems. John, you may remember in 2004 when there was a statewide race that the machine lost a lot of those ballots and the election of the Department of Public Instruction, I think it was the state superintendent office, was sort of uh, in question for months but that was before that the there was a paper ballot that these voting machines were uh, producing. Now every voting machine has to produce a paper ballot. So again, I think we have a very good system that's secure, fair, and has integrity. Well, you know the old joke about uh, Chicago and uh, the uh, Daily Administration, and of course the the line up there was uh, be sure to vote early and vote often. Uh, so. We- we at least don't have that kind of reputation here in North Carolina. Uh, uh, so uh, we, I guess we can be thankful for that. So uh, what uh, should there be any changes in our voting laws? Uh, uh, are you pleased with the, the way they are? And would you suggest any changes to the present set of laws and regulations that we're following? Well, I think something, uh, there are some states that have what they call automatic voter registration, and that is, when someone becomes 18 years of age, they are registered to vote automatically. Uh, I don't think that's anything that's bad. That could be something that would be nice for the legislature to consider. Um, I think that if they give counties more leeway, right now, Don, every county has to have the same number of hours for early voting. And you might have um, Scotland County or um, I'm trying to think of your old uh, haunts, Don. Remind me the county. Um, Gaston County would be another. Gaston County. 
maybe Gaston County or maybe some of those counties in wherever rural North Carolina, they don't need to have quite the number of hours that Wake County or Mecklenburg County has. I think giving the counties more flexibility regarding hours and early voting sites and numbers and all that would be is would be good too because not every county has the same amount of resources and money and some of those smaller rural counties are cash starved. So those are two areas that I think um, could potentially be improvements that uh, we would love to see the legislature consider um, more support, more money for those county boards of elections, um, not necessarily changing a voting law, but just making sure that all 100 county board of elections have the money that they need uh, to run uh, the elections um, in a proper fashion. Bob, I'm sure you, you've got these numbers that you probably don't have them at hand, but what percentage of 18-year-olds are registering uh, upon their first eligibility? You know, again, great question. I don't know. The, I was going to I thought you were going to ask in terms of um, are they registering with a political party? And most 18 year olds are now registering unaffiliated. But to your other question uh, that I don't know, I do know this. There are a million North Carolinians who are voter age eligible who are not registered to vote, voter age eligible, but not registered to vote. Why? I don't know. There's a variety of reasons, but they also run the gamut probably from the 18 to maybe the 80. Uh, but um, those are things that would be nice somehow to be able to address and uh, find out why and encourage people who are eligible to register to vote. Interesting that uh, most of the 18-year-olds are registering non-affiliated. We could talk about that, I guess, in our final segment of how people feel about political parties these days. That might be an interesting way to start that next segment. Our guest is Bob Phillips. He's the executive director of Common Calls North Carolina. And we'll be back with our final segment right after we take time out for these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain sleet and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. 
Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Again, our guest this week is Bob Phillips, the Executive Director of Common Calls North Carolina, a nonpartisan advocacy organization that uh, deals with voting rights and uh, uh, that sort of thing, and we've enjoyed talking with Bob. I would remind the listeners that uh, a number of our stations carry the full hour broadcast, and yet another group of stations carry a 30-minute version of the program. If you happen to be listening to one of the stations that carries the 30-minute version, the two segments that you miss are available online at carolinanewsmakers.com, carolinanewsmakers.com. And so if you'd like to go online and hear those two segments or share the entire broadcast with a friend, you can do just that. Bob, uh, we ended the last program talking about 18-year-olds registering mostly as uh, unaffiliates or unaffiliated. Uh, the general public, of course, is beginning to follow that uh, same practice of registering as unaffiliated, which indicates a lack of interest in the two-party system. Do you think the two-party system has served its purpose? Are we seeing a uh, demise of the party system, in your opinion? Well, they're definitely not the power that they once were, whether it's in an urban area or a county area. Uh, people certainly probably don't even want to discuss, you know, what kind of political party affiliation they have even in the days today versus, you know, when you used to hear proud Republican or proud Democrat uh, roll off people's tongues. Um, I do think, you know, I don't know whether we'll be going to this because there are other parties like the Greens and the Constitutional and the Libertarians, but multi-parties, um, I think, are healthy for democracy. And that's always been a issue of having them on the ballot. And it's a high threshold we have in North Carolina for um, uh, these parties to be able to be on the ballot. But um, the Democratic and Republican parties are not the entities and people's lives that they once were for a variety of reasons. And I think as you alluded to, though, Don, even though many people do register unaffiliated, they may feel at home more in one party than the other, but they don't have quite that loyalty, perhaps, that um, someone that registers as a Republican or a Democrat does. And uh, they might, you know, vote split ballots more than, say, a Democratic or a Republican voter uh, does. Bob, uh, we are seeing a big change. We alluded earlier, of course, to the demise of the importance of the daily newspaper uh, on the, the, the uh, on the news scene and also as far as opinion, but also the importance of the three major networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS, has been eroded somewhat because of all the cable news channels. And then you've got social media uh, involved here. Uh, if you were advising candidates of how to get their story out, uh, what would you be saying to them? Because you're a former member of the press. How would you describe the landscape right now? Well, even what we do, Don, in the nonprofit world, where we're trying to at least alert voters in a nonpartisan way to vote, and we put we produce a, a nonpartisan voter guide every election cycle, and even we have gone to what they call digital outreach. And this is where you can do everything from Facebook ads to 
ads that are going to appear on somebody's watching a live stream show on their favorite, whether it's Netflix or Hulu, you know, you can get a commercial in that way. Um, there are what they call geofencing, and that is you're in a particular location and something pops up on your phone. That happens to us all the time. Usually it's from a merchant, you know, like you're at Target, come shop, you know, whatever. But that's what candidates can do. And that's what, um, you know, even nonprofits like us can do to try to reach people. It's really tough. I, I always wonder when we do spend money on digital advertising, are we just taking a stack of money and striking a match and poof, it goes up. But it does work, apparently. This is how younger people particularly, um, you know, we all have that phone in our pocket and that's how we get so much of our information. So it's trying to reach them with what they are, you know, consuming. And as you mentioned, Don, in those days of network television, when it was just the big three networks or the newspaper that would come to the house, uh, it was pretty simple. You know, the commercial on the network news or the networks themselves, rather, and the uh, advertisement in the newspaper. But it's a heck of a lot more complex and complicated. But uh, that's, you know, kind of digital out reach digital advertising. And uh, we certainly are seeing that today by uh, every campaign uh, these days. We also have, of course, in elections, usually we have debates. Uh, and of course, usually the candidate who's out in front uh, wants to leave well enough alone and not participate in the debates. And even when we have them, they, uh, they sometimes turn into almost a media circus. Uh, do you have any evidence that the debates actually has any real effect on the outcome of elections? I think they don't have any, uh, I mean, uh, impact at all like they used to. I mean, uh, you mentioned, uh, <clears throat> Don, as we often do, our age here. I don't really remember the Nixon-Kennedy or Kennedy-Nixon debate, but I know that was a huge moment in that election, and many people say it perhaps uh, swayed that outcome of that election uh, in in many ways. Whereas today, I think a debate is it's almost like a news story, and what the uh, what gets pulled out by the campaigns and the advocates is the soundbite. You know, either the soundbite that's the the opponent messed up, and here's what they said. It seems to get boiled down to just a few highlights. I don't know what the ratings of debates are anymore, but I think a lot of people. They just think, oh, I'll just see kind of what people pull out of a debate, and then that's how I'll get my information. So uh, long answer, uh, I don't think they have a whole lot of impact anymore. I think you have to, though, do it. I think if you refuse to debate, that can become a negative. So I think you almost have to engage in a debate, but I just don't think they have the impact that they once did. We talked earlier about the super PACs uh, that uh, have come about because of the Citizen United ruling back in 2010 or 2011, whatever it was. Uh, the super PACs uh, are not, uh, uh, there, there could be a good case made that you need to know who is backing that and what their cause is, uh, some amount of transparency. Do you see any hope of that ever happening? You know, when the, decision came down, the people who supported this said a lot in the decision about transparency and the need to have sunshine on just what you say, Don, who's behind it. And, you know, you have these PACs 
and I'll just maybe make a kind of a facetious example, but, you know, citizens for cute puppies. I mean, you'll have these packs that have these kind of uh, nice sounding names and you think, oh, isn't that nice? Well, these must be nice people. But the money behind it and who's behind it and what they're doing, of course, is kind of hidden behind all that. I would hope, and that is one thing Common Cause will continue to work for, uh, that we can get more transparency. And I think it behooves both parties to do that because you have Republicans who get attacked by independent money that is, you know, where Democratic donors are behind it, just like you have, obviously, um, Democrats who are attacked by, you know, Republican independent money. So my hope is that there could be some bipartisan uh, support for more transparency. The other thing that, uh, you know, supposedly there's no direct contact between the super PACs and the political candidates. How would we get more transparency on whether or not there is some cooperation? There is some uh, dialogue between those parties in, in setting up the, the message. It's another great question, Don. Uh, you know, we see so often where the PACs are headed up by someone who used to work on the campaign and there's almost, you know, no revolving door there. I think we need to have some bright boundaries or bright guidelines about if you've worked for the candidate, uh, maybe there's a cooling off period of a year or two before you could head up or work on some super PAC and that there again would have to be complete transparency, almost to say you can't have a conflict of interest. Uh, Granted, it's an entity that is working on behalf or against you know, some candidate, but you still want to have the public know exactly who's behind it and particularly the people that are running it, what kind of connection they have uh, to the candidate that is benefiting from this independent expenditure. And uh, again, going back to my last answer, I think there could be an appetite from both parties to support um, having some brighter guidelines put into the law. Bob, if you were advising the Democratic Party and the Republican Party on uh, how they would uh, go about creating more interest in uh, uh, having people to align themselves with a party uh, more so than they are now, uh, what would you say to them? Well, I do think that there has to be from both parties more of a vision for what the Democratic Party or the Republican Party uh, has for, I'll just use, you know, North Carolina. We've had in the past politicians who had a vision for public education or a vision for e- economic development. And uh, of course, it takes repetition, but I think all that gets lost on the kind of, you know, again, incivility that we see and the gotcha kind of politics that we're uh, operating under. And the bigger vision, I think, kind of gets lost in all that. Uh, And I think it has to be kind of transactional where a voter who lives in rural North Carolina has to feel like the political party that's appealing or asking for its support, uh, that they are feeling like, yes, this political party really is uh, supporting, you know, what my interests are or they care about me. I, I think oftentimes some of the voters are feeling like our interests aren't being heard and we don't feel like you're connecting with us. So I know that kind of gets back to the basics. I mean, I guess it's always been where parties need to be able to paint a picture or candidates need to be able to provide a vision. But I don't think that that's something that we see a lot, and unfortunately. Well, basically, you know, what happens as people peel off and begin to register as unaffiliates, it means that the 
Party uh, becomes, the Democratic Party becomes more liberal and the Republican Party becomes more conservative than maybe the mainstream voter in North Carolina. So the mainstream voter in North Carolina may be without a real life choice. I think you're right. You know, we are a moderate state. We always have been. And I think sometimes moderates are searching for a party or candidates that speak to uh, that kind of tradition that we've had in North Carolina for so many years. Bob, uh, our time is running out, and I appreciate you uh, taking time to visit with us and share your thoughts. Bob Phillips, Executive Director of Common Cause North Carolina. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com, carolinanewsmakers.com, and hear the entire broadcast or the segments that you might have missed if you were only listening to part of the broadcast. We'll be back again next week, same time, same station. So the next week, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.